Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secured retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the mic, starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm Big Mike. Today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Tim Bratz. Hi, Tim. Mike, appreciate you having me, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, Tim is a brother from the Collective Genius Mastermind. Uh, he's a mover and shaker. He's a go-getter to the nth degree. Uh, Tim, tell the audience a little bit about uh, you. Where do you live? Um, family, wife, kids, cats, dogs. <laughs> Just a couple of words about you. Sure thing. Well, uh, hey, man, I, I appreciate you again having me. And um, you're definitely somebody that I look up to in the collective genius and uh, highly respect in the real estate world. You, you have a, a level of, of knowledge in what we do that um, uh, I always follow. And, and again, I appreciate you having me, man. So, um, yeah, a little back, background on me. Uh, Tim Bratz. I'm out of Cleveland, Ohio, originally. And I actually lived in New York for about a year. That's when I got started in real estate and I worked in the, I got my real estate license. I thought that's how everybody got started in real estate. And, uh, I did commercial leasing and, and, um, uh, for offices and retail space in Manhattan for a little boutique firm. And, um, that's actually what really got me on the, on the side of, uh, understanding residual income and passive income. I, um, early on, I, I brokered a lease. It was, it was uh, about 400 square feet in Greenwich Village at the corner of Bleecker and Thompson. And uh, we signed a lease for $10,000 a month for 400 square feet. And I was like, I'm on the wrong side of the coin. I need to be owning real estate instead of brokering. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I, I moved down to Charleston, South Carolina. I lived down there for about five years and really got started in investing down there and really started out in the single family realm. And then when I got engaged uh, to my wife, now Kate, uh, moved back to Cleveland. She's a, she's a Clevelander. So came back to Cleveland. Um, and, uh, and that's when I really started buying apartment buildings. That was in 2012. And, um, and that's, that's really what aligned with um, my long-term goals and my ambitions was apartments. I just liked the scale of it. I liked uh, it was easier to do bigger deals. It was easier to manage bigger deals. It was easier to get, easier to get money on bigger deals. And, um, and that's what I've been focused on. So today, as I'm talking to you, Mike, I'm at a little over 3,900 units uh, portfolio of around $330 million. And so that's cool. Um, what's more exciting about it is I buy pretty heavy value add deals, like the one that you're involved in. Um, they're, they're a lot more work, but there's a lot more upside to those. And, um, and so what I'm more proud of is not the, not the portfolio value, but it's actually you know what we owe to our uh, lenders and our investors is right around a little over 200 million. So we've got 120, almost $125 million of equity built into our projects. Um, and so that's what I'm more proud of. That's great. Uh, thank you for the explanation. Uh, that's phenomenal. You, you certainly went the path of the big boys uh, fairly quickly. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I am personally kind of impressed uh, how you're able to do these very heavy value at heavy lifting projects. It's not easy. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's a lot of work. And uh, we are invested uh, only in Georgia Plains, but that's, that, that, that was a big project. So it's uh, let's chat a little bit about that, and um, uh, it's it, it's certainly fascinating to me. Um, uh, and for us to invest into these big value add projects, it takes uh, as an investor, it takes um, it takes courage 
because it's not easy to put a lot of trust into a sponsor and operator like you. And I've seen projects fail. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a big difference between those who can get them through a life cycle and, and those who um, start and then they fall apart. I mean, that, that makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. You can make a lot of money. You can create a lot of value for yourself and for investors if you can be successful. And you can lose money if, if you get stuck in the middle of construction and the city shuts you down and you can't proceed and, mm-hmm. and you run out of money. So, yeah. And what, uh, what I would say is we, we didn't start out doing – these big, like Georgia, like that's a big deal. It's 700 some units, 730 units. And um, we bought it for pennies on the dollar, you know, so that's actually number one, make sure you're buying at a low enough basis. So even when there are hiccups, um, you know, you're at a low enough basis in the overall project. Now we put another fifth. So we bought it for about $15,000 a unit. We put almost $20,000 per unit across 730 units. It's a lot of money. Um, and it's been a couple of years of a lot of, a lot of hard work. Um, but that's, that's a project that we recently did, right? Like early on, I got started doing little projects. So I buy an eight unit apartment building and I do a pretty heavy value add on that one comparatively. Uh, and then I bought another eight unit and I bought a 14 unit and I bought a 30 unit that we totally revamped and 23 units. And, and then um, uh, about a year and a half before we did the Georgia Plains deal, um, that you guys came in on, we did, we bought a six, we built ground up about 84 townhouses in Georgia. And then we also bought a 60 unit and totally revamped that one. And then we bought a 134 unit and totally revamped that one. And so, uh, I think it was, you know, it's kind of one of those, you take baby steps, you crawl before you walk, you walk before you run. And, um, what we've been able to do really, really well is kind of be, uh, we're more qualified to take down those heavier lifts than uh, than a lot of the beginner investors, and they're usually too distressed for what the hedge funds or the, or the real estate trusts um, want to get involved in. And so we've found this this niche where we're willing to roll up our sleeves, we're willing to get our hands dirty, and um, and we we've, we've shown a track record of being able to turn these heavy value add projects around. And um, uh, because of that, it builds belief in our investors, it builds belief in uh, our team. Um, and I will say this though, like you've you've met. Uh, my partner, Walter, who's down in Georgia, this guy has an unbelievable work ethic. And that's a big reason why this, this does work. Um, I mean, him and his brother go and drive three, four hours to the projects and sleep in a B-class apartment building that's in the process of being renovated three nights a week. You know, <laughs> so they sleep on a blow up mattress. This guy's worth tens of millions of dollars and he doesn't care. He just wants to go and get the job done. So I think it really boils down to, um, you know, what, what's the what's the mindset of of the operator of the sponsor, and um, are they willing to go and work third shift to make sure that their investors get their money back? You know, if things do hit the fan. And so, um, fortunately, we've been able to convey that that's our our character and. Um, that's how we work. And, um, and we, we do it. Like we work really, 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 really hard. It's not a, it's not an easy, um, transaction. Yeah. And I give, um, all the credit to Walter and his brother and we've had a number of calls and, uh, it's amazing that, uh, the, this approach that Walter is taking and it is very, how should I put it? It's an insurance policy. It's more than insurance policy. It's the driver of success being, mm-hmm having feet on the ground and driving the construction forward. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, my experience, these projects could overrun the time and the budget easily without close supervision. And um, let's just chat a little bit about Georgia Plains, just to kind of go over the project for the audience to explain what a heavy value project looks like. Because it's it's a success. You are we we haven't exited yet, but at least we're pretty close to the exit point through the refi. It's Very not close. an exit point; it's a refi point. But but it is an important step to get investors to their capital. So let's go back. Um, just just talk through the project. So you bought it fifteen thousand a door. You're investing twenty thousand a door on average, which is more money spent on renovation than the acquisition. Uh, and, and what is what are these things? What's the targets? What are we li- what are we likely uh, thinking they're worth per door uh, now? When we're going to basically well, oppose stabilization? Sure. So um, I'm going to back up real quick because I think it's important for people to understand where the project came from. And we're you know in in 2000 we bought that in what 2018 at the peak of a market right and everybody's like how are you finding deals at fifteen thousand dollars a door. And this actually, I want to explain where it came from. So this came from a referral of, uh, of one of the brokers that was involved in 134 unit that I bought about a year and a half prior. And they saw us, you know, be able to qualify for this bigger project, turn it around, stabilize it. And like I mentioned before, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say newer or smaller investors cannot qualify for this big of a loan. Um, and it's too distressed for some of these bigger buyers to want. So this seller actually got dragged through the mud for about six or eight months from another buyer who couldn't qualify to take down the portfolio. And um, when it came back on the market, we went and placed a bid and we actually went in uh, several million dollars lower than what the highest bid was. But because we had transacted on something uh, that was in similar status, uh, they actually went with us. This seller was... And this is, this is indicative of where I buy a lot of my properties, Mike, is from a very, very smart multimillionaire entrepreneur who made their money in some other industry and then took it and thought that they could just deploy money into real estate without going through a fund like yours, without having a joint venture partner boots on the ground, without interviewing a property management company, without getting educated on, on you know, how to do this and what to do and um, how to build out a team. And these were a couple of guys actually in your neck of the woods. They were, they were Wall Street brokers making five million bucks a year. And they just took their money and deployed it into some apartment buildings down in Georgia. And um, again, they, they didn't have uh, any sort of education on it. They didn't have any partner who was local to the projects. They didn't know how to interview management companies. And, um, and they thought they could just do it on their own. And uh, they got you know their butt handed to them. And it ended up being in, in a position where they either had to let go of their property or they was going to take down their entire ship, right? They were going to lose their, their, it was taking so much time away from their brokerage. So they had to actually walk away from the property and it was a bigger uh, um, ease and peace of mind to them to just to get rid of the property than to, um, uh, you know, try to try to make it work on their own. So they or try to get the most dollars for the sale. So that's why we were able to go in and buy it at a, at a, you know, discounted rates. So I think it's important that other entrepreneurs understand that if you don't have a partner or if you're not investing in a fund like, like yours, Mike, um, you got to really know what you're doing. It's not as, it's not light work. Like a lot of people think it is. So, um, so we come in, we go and bought it for $15,000 a door, put another $20,000 a door in. And that's, you know, everything we did roofs, parking lots, um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, carpentry type work, flooring, paint, fixtures, mechanicals, 
common areas, pools, um, rebranding on all the marketing. We redid everything uh, on these five apartment complexes, totaling 700 some units. And um, uh, our total cost basis right now is around $27 million. And um, uh, right at 27 million is, is what we owe in, in debt and equity to our investors and to our, our lender. Um, but here's the good news. Over the past 24 months, we've been able to increase the value so much, bump up rents, you know, increase occupancy, reduce a lot of the operating expenses because of the scale of the operation and putting in low flow toilets and LED light fixtures and reducing a lot of the utility expenses that way, that now the valuation, we're in the process of, of uh, having these things appraised and refinanced. The valuations are coming in somewhere in the, in the neighborhood of, the, of uh, uh, between 45 to $48 million. So there's a lot of juice in that deal. And, you know, it was worth it, right? So it took a lot of work, but it's going to be a home run for our investors. It's going to be a home run for us as the operators. And, um, uh, you know, it kind of put us on the map for uh, for doing some other big deals. And we've had a lot of other opportunities that came down the, the pipeline because of it. Yeah, thank you for your great explanation. Uh, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, the value that you created is humongous. And it, it, it's because you took a... Essentially, I don't know if it was drug infested, but probably a very low occupancy, falling apart asset mm-hmm. that, um, uh, you know, it couldn't get financing. It couldn't get anything. It, it was just literally falling, falling apart. It was somebody else's problem, but it's a tremendous opportunity for you because you were able to um, uh, run through the process uh, of renovation. And, and you basically increased the value by, let's just say, you know, roughly 50%, which is, you know, Few projects increase that much value uh, over the cost, but it's a very significant um, uh, undertaking. And I mean, you and Walter and, and other folks in your team deserve all the credit. So let's just go over the mechanics here. So this deal got funded. It's about two years now, right? I mean, more or less, we are. Yep. We took it out in June of 20 20- years. 2018. Yeah, and, and you're about to refinance, getting investors all the money out within two years, which is pretty, pretty good to say the least. Yeah, we're in the process uh, of, um, so so not all the prop all the properties are pretty much renovated. There's one that needs a little bit more, but it's it's you know ninety percent of the way there, and um, and now we've been in the lease up phase, and so um, you know the, the the key here is when you have that distressed of a property and that bad of a reputation. Um, the property has that bad of a reputation. You got to go in, you got to clean up everything before you start rebranding and, uh, and marketing and bringing in new tenants because otherwise you're just going to attract the same type of tenant who's you know not respecting the property, not respecting their neighbors, and you don't want that. So yeah, we had to go in and we did some, some heavy improvements on all the exterior and kind of giving that, that curb appeal while we were renovating all the vacant units as well. And, um, and then, you know, once the clubhouse was done and the, the uh, uh, common areas and the pool and, and you, you drive through this, this uh, community with um, you know, beautiful landscaping and you go in there and you get it, you go and take a look at these updated units with luxury vinyl tile flooring that looks like hardwoods and, um, you know, updated kitchens, updated bathrooms, everything's in nice shape. We can then attract a better quality of a tenant, somebody who's uh, is going to pay their rent. They're going to pay it on time. They're going to be respectful to the property and to their neighbors. And um, 
And so, but it takes a lot of work to get it there, right? So, um, yeah, we're in the process of, of doing the whole lease up phase right now. And uh, uh, our current lender actually loves how much value that we've created there. And what they said is, hey, while you're going through the lease up, because you got it to this point, we're going to give you a supplemental loan on the property uh, just so you guys can cash out your investors. And so we'll be able to totally refinance the entire portfolio probably late summer, early fall of 2020. Um, but we're going to be able to pull all of our equity investors' equity off the table, which is you know a, a one step in the right direction towards having a, a massively successful project. So our investors got paid a, um, a nice dividend during the um, during the whole process. We pay a fixed preferred rate of return uh, regardless of the property's performance, and then they're going to get all their money back, and then they'll maintain equity in perpetuity in the deal. So uh, that, that's a great point. How do you? Just a quick question: How do you pay? Do you overfund the project? Do you overfund the ability to pay the PREF, or you finance it out of your other income? Because uh, the project itself is not generating ten percent cash flow. Correct. Yep. So just just curious, where is that money coming from? Yeah. So we we create interest reserves, just like any bank would create an interest reserve for any value add project um, for their debt payments. We do the same thing. Um, with our equity investors. And so we'll, we'll overfund um, or, or you know, uh, raise additional capital, create an interest reserve. And we pack that in though, to the cost basis of the property. So um, uh, you overfund the project, which includes the, the payments, I guess, to the first, obviously, to correct. service the debt. And then yep. to the, the investors, the, the 10% PREF that you guys pay. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, and then, that makes you know, sense. Um, and then eventually the property starts cash flowing and we're at such a low basis that we don't need very high occupancy to be able to cover, um, you know, the debt service or, or our PREF payments from then on. So, uh, but yeah, it at least bridges the gap and, and breeds a lot of confidence. Um, and, the, the, you know, what I found in when I invest, I want a, a predictable rate of return. And at the same time, I want some equity upside. If I'm going to help somebody make a million dollars, isn't it only really fair that I get hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars also um, and so we've kind of created a little bit of a hybrid of that situation where they have a predictable rate of return plus they have equity upside yeah that that makes sense so uh, just to finish on on, on Georgia Plains um, the uh, w- w- what's the rent per door on average I know there's different mixes so now upon uh, completely repositioning the the asset. What's an average trend? Thirty-five thousand a door, roughly. The cost basis, obviously, some soft cost. Mm-hmm. But what's the rent per door on average now? On average, it's probably around. It's around six fifty. Depends on the building. Depends on the the unit size. But most of our one bedrooms are in the five seventy five range. Um, a lot of the two bedrooms are more in the six fifty to seven hundred range. And then we have a few three bedrooms that are. Um, 750, 800. And so I, I would I would call this an area more of like a C plus B minus kind of an area, depending on each one of the where the buildings are. But because we renovated the buildings, we actually attract the best quality tenants in any of those areas. And we don't try to charge a premium. We we want a market rate rent, but we want the best quality tenants who aren't going to move out, who are going to stay long term. That's going to reduce. Our overhead is going to reduce our turnover and our maintenance expenses. We're going to have a much more predictable uh, maintenance schedule. And, um, you know, on, on 
paper, a lot of people show these C class and D class type properties with the same occupancy rates as like B class properties. And it's just not, it's not realistic. You know, uh, they're like, Oh no, we can maintain a 95, 90 or 94, 95% occupancy. And unless, unless you understand really the science behind this, um, that's very, very difficult to do in some of the lower end stuff. So what we do is again, we, we make sure we have the nicest units at the exact same rates, uh, market rates as everyone else. And that allows us to attract the best tenants that way we're not chasing rents because they're most qualified. They're not moving out because there's nothing better for that price point anywhere in the neighborhood. And they're going to stay long-term and, uh, and create long, better returns long-term for us. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, you're offering a better value to the tenants uh, by providing a better uh, living environment uh, versus the competition. So uh, it should be stickier tenants better tenants in theory. So, mm-hmm. so in the long term, your strategy uh, should work better. A quick question. So we're recording this, obviously, during the COVID um, uh, pandemic. How, how did COVID affect this and other assets? I, I know the South Georgia, and this is in Warner Robins mm-hmm. in Albany, Georgia, and they had a, an epidemic, uh, a serious pandemic epicenter of the, uh, of the virus. How did the virus affect uh, overall project? And I know some people even, you know, passed as a result of COVID in that area. Yeah, so. we, um, as crazy as this is, uh, Albany, Georgia was actually the epicenter of the Southeast for the outbreak of, of COVID-19. And so um, that's been a little bit of a slowdown. We were actually hoping to get our investors money back, back in March, April, but because of all this stuff hitting, uh, it got delayed a couple of months. And so um, most of our properties have been pretty good. Obviously, things have slowed down. We had one property where there was a small outbreak um, and we had, I don't know, 25, 30 tenants or something that, that got COVID-19. And I think one or two of them actually passed away. Um, so there was obviously additional precautions, right? There's additional expenses and making sure everything's sanitized and making sure that the playgrounds are, are closed down, making sure that the, uh, the pools are closed down, um, making sure that we're wiping down the the doorknobs and the, and we're wiping down the um, mailboxes and we're wiping down the laundry facilities doing all those kinds of things. So obviously some additional expense there. And, you know, for very good reason, there were people who were scared and people on our staff who didn't want to work. And they said, Hey, you know, it's just not worth the risk. Um, and with all the negativity out in the news, you know, whether there's a real threat with COVID-19 and getting sick from it, which obviously some people got very sick from it. Um, and then other people, I know you had it and, and didn't even phase you, right? You got a, a slight cough. So um, it, regardless of that, it's painted as a picture of, you know, uh, the end of times kind of a thing. And so there's there's real fear in the perception of what was going on. And so that definitely slowed us down, um, specifically in the one property and across Albany and uh, some of our Georgia properties altogether. Um I will say that we were very proactive on kind of, you know, hitting this on the head before it hit us in the face. And so um, back in March, we sent out letters and started communication as soon as uh, HUD had mentioned that they're going to put a moratorium on, on all foreclosures. And I said, hey, guys, this is, this is they're going to find out about it, right? It's better that they find out about it from us than from some other tenants and they try to do some sort of rent strike. And so 
we sent out a letter in late March and said, hey, as you might have heard, here's what's going on with housing and urban, urban development. We hope you're staying safe. We, stay, we hope you're staying healthy. Here's all the different things that the CDC is saying that you should be doing personally. And here's all the things that we're doing from a landlord perspective. And we took a very um, friendly but also firm approach to the conversation. And we, went, we then went into, here's, here's what's going on. Although we can't evict anybody, we still expect you to pay rent. And here's why. Because if you don't pay rent, we cannot cut the grass and, and offer you know, a clean place for you to live. We cannot maintain your unit. We're not going to be able to pay our staff to send somebody out and fix a leaky faucet or fix something that's broken. We cannot pay for extermination. We can't pay for you know, the trash to be removed. You don't want rats you know, living uh, or running all around you, right? And so you know, we, we painted this picture of it's not some greedy landlord where all this money is coming in and it's paying for yachts and jets and all this lifestyle. It's, it's going, all this money goes back into the property to reinvest into the property to make sure that we're providing a clean, safe, functional, uh, cosmetically improved housing for you as the tenant. And so we explained that. And then we said, that being said, if you are facing hardship, please reach out to us. Proactively reach out to us. We're not going to chase you down. But if you reach out to us, we will uh, put some sort of a workout plan together on a case-by-case basis to help you through these difficult times. Um, and by the way, here's a list, and we put, I don't know, five or six bullet points in there of all the different subsidy organizations, how to file unemployment, how to reach out to jobs and family services, how to, uh, local church organizations that, are, that offer some sort of rent subsidy, food subsidy, housing sub, whatever that looks like, um, and, uh, and other local subsidy organizations to make sure that they have access to all these different resources, uh, despite what was going on. And what I can tell you is we sent that out across all of my properties. I own, I own property in uh, nine different states right now. And um, I can tell you that at least up here in Cleveland, all my properties here, we collected more rent in April than we did in March. And we were actually ahead of rents in in May than we were in April. Um, some of that was lease up, you know, and, uh, uh, and, and so because we took a proactive approach and we reached out to these tenants, uh, we haven't had a, a difficult time. Probably two to 3% of our tenant base is on a workout plan of some sort. Um, and I will say that in Georgia, though, uh, people are paying rent, but it's slower down there. It's, it's trickling in throughout the month instead of getting in the first five days of the month, like we usually do. So um, are we adversely affected? Absolutely. Just like everybody else is, but it hasn't been a very hard hit. We, we took the approach of as extreme and intense as this situation is, we're going to meet it with equal and, and even greater extremeness and intensity. Right. And, uh, and we've just been, uh, I set a very clear expectation with it, with my team and all the local management companies and um, our local on-site property managers and leasing agents that we are going to work our tails off and make sure we push through this thing and come out, um, come out clean on the back end. So that's, uh, that's what we've been doing. And, and so far, you know, everything's been going pretty well, as, as well as it possibly could go, despite what's going on in the market or in the, in the world right now. Yeah, great, great work. Uh, I have to say, give you all the uh, credit where it's due. Um, you, you did all the right steps to um, take care of the tenants, to communicate well, and um, uh, I think that, that that has significantly helped uh, collections and, and made people 
were comfortable being in your um, properties that, that were they would rather see engaged a landlord and um, extending a helping hand, and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we're almost out of time, but a couple of very quick questions. Um, so first, I'm going to ask you the question, and then the second question will be how people can reach you. So before you, you answer how could people reach you, but the first question is, uh, what do you see uh, later in uh, 2020? Are we going to get improved deal flow? Right now, a lot of stuff is sort of stalled. The lenders don't want to fund. Mm-hmm. The, the buyers are not getting good enough price. The sellers are not getting uh, what they want. We, we're kind of in this little bit of a funk where the deal flow is a little, a little, little bit frozen. I mean, case by case, obviously. Uh, what are you seeing? Are you seeing better quality deals? Are you seeing more uh, sort of improved pricing for you to acquire? Or you know, the projects you're looking at doesn't even matter because you, you, you've been getting great price to start with, and you may get even a better price or not, but it's hard to say. But the question is, what's your outlook for, for, for you specifically for the next you know six months and beyond? Sure, great question. Um, and, and obviously, I don't have a I don't have a crystal ball, just like nobody else has a crystal ball. And um, I don't like to speculate, just because I mean, if if you ask me that question. Uh, 90 days ago, it would be a very different answer, right? And, and I think any anyone who's uh, uh, in analytics or forecasting or uh, economists, um, they all would have been wrong 90 days ago. And so, you know, who knows? This whole thing could change in the next 30 days. It could change in six months from now or 12 months from now. And um, and I don't think anybody's anybody can predict where it's going. But what I can say is is from a standpoint of deal flow right now, um, we have not seen much movement in pricing. A little bit, not much though. Um, what? What? I mean, I mean, in my world, it's very difficult to get financing on anything that's not 100% stabilized, right? So this bridge financing almost dried up, and and, and we cannot get. I have a deal that I'm, I'm buying that is 100% occupied, 130 units in Georgia, 100% occupied, 97% collections um, in the month of May. And uh, the bridge lender will not lend on it. So we can go to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, but the, the loan terms for the acquisition aren't as attractive as what we, we typically get through a bridge lender. Um, and it doesn't give us the opportunity to cash out our investors in 12, 24 months. So um, it's it's definitely tripped yeah, us but, up. But, uh, one comment on this. Yeah, I, I see this everywhere. The, the bridge lenders, especially, uh, other than the hard money, has completely disappeared. So right. anything in between, in between kind of gone away for at least for a while. And then I guess you can still get hard money today if you have enough equity in the deal. Correct. But beyond that. So what, um, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, I mean, I think you're, I think we're probably going to say the same thing. So there's, there's three different ways that I'm doing deals right now. One is I'm buying stabilized products that I can put agency debt on right out of the gate. And then we can put some supplemental debt on it in the future, uh, 12, 24, 36 months from now. So that's number one. Number two is I'm just buying it. They, at a, they have to be performing. I mean, that's correct. tough to get agency debt. They have to be above the threshold that they set. Correct. Absolutely. So it has to be a deep discount on a stabilized asset, which is very hard to come by, right? Um, yep, yep. So the second is you buy a deep, deep discount and you go and get hard money like we're, you're talking about, Mike. Um, the thing is, I just, I don't want to do real heavy lifts right now with, with all the uncertainty. So 
what we're the other thing that we're doing is we've just moved over to a lot of creative financing. And what I have found is although the pricing is not changing much in the marketplace, sellers are much more open to having conversations of, of seller financing or doing a, some sort of master lease with an option or some sort of installment contract for deed and, um, and getting a little bit more flexible on how to move the property. And so that's what we're heavily having conversations with right now. And so we're negotiating um, some seller financing on some other properties. They're going to hold the debt and hold the paper, the seller will, over the course of the next 24 months. And then once we stabilize it, then um, then we'll put agency long-term agency debt in place. And so they're acting as our bridge lender right now. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, actually working on a, on a different deal right now and also multifamily light value add. Uh, that's getting decent first lien financing from insurance company instead of uh, agency, which is mm-hmm. you know similar situation, but the occupancy is in the 90s, and that, that concept makes sense. But the seller financing is you know it's funny that this deal that I'm working on has the same component where the seller is willing to contribute to some equity, so they're staying in the deal by swapping their equity and well their cash that they would have otherwise received at closing into the equity in the future deal. So it's, kind of, it. it's not the future deal, but but they 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 getting instead of K, some equity in lieu of cash, so that the um, uh, the deal can can function because it's harder to get financing to line up the entire capital stack. It's gotten a whole lot harder now. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a great point. The seller financing, creative finance is number one now. It's the number one negotiating technique. Can get you can get fresh money. Use what you got on kind of in a given deal. So yep. And and, and I, w- I want to end or kind of close out with this, Mike. Is that Despite what's going on in the marketplace, I'm still going out and doing deals. Um, I think if you have good, sound fundamentals about how you buy properties, like we always buy at a low cost base. We always buy at a wholesale price, right? We typically improve. There's some sort of improved value where we can create appreciation versus speculating or hoping for it. Um, we buy for cash flow. We stick to you know B-class multifamily. I think when the market's good, everybody can afford that. When the market shifts, all those luxury renters move into more of a workforce type housing. Um, so uh, you know we put favorable financing terms in place and and uh, good team, good management, all those different things. And I think as long as you have good sound fundamentals in your business, um, there's no reason that you can't keep on buying. So. Um, just make sure you're doing good deals. I think, you know, 12 months ago, there were good deals in the marketplace and there were bad deals in the marketplace. 12 months from now, there will be good deals in the marketplace and there will be bad deals in the marketplace. And right now there's good deals and there's bad deals. And so um, I think if you come across a good deal, you do it. And if it's a bad deal, you walk away from it. And we're just, we're killing more deals than we're, uh, than we used to. I will say that. Yeah, these are great comments. That's exactly what I, I sort of I shared the thought. Uh, it's hard to find deals, but we do have uh, one deal, and it's a decent deal. It's the same thing. You can get the deals in the middle of a COVID situation uh, if it's the right value at plan and you feel comfortable based on all the, the numbers you look at. Uh, but the uncertainty is still out there, and, and it's possible that there could be better deals in the future. On the other hand, um, it does appear, well, at least who knows, right? It might not be as bad as originally thought. It's not as deadly, not as destructive. Not it, it Certainly, economy has been stalled. But now we're reopening, and if the reopening runs reasonably well, uh, the hope is that a lot of the assets will come back into you know reasonable performance a whole lot sooner than, than later. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we are dealing with unprecedented unemployment conditions, and there's a lot of unknown where that's going to go. But and, that, and that's uh, our own fault, yeah. man. I mean, they gave everybody a, a $2,500 a month raise, you know, for for collecting unemployment. So that is part of a part of the issue that we are facing is. You know, people who were making thirty thousand dollars a year are now making sixty thousand dollars a year because they're on unemployment. The government's paying them an extra twenty five hundred dollars a month, um, and so it's just it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out, Mike. By you know that that'll probably take everybody through the end of the year, Christmas, New Year's type time frame, and um, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're we're running out of time. I'd love to chat more. Maybe we'll come back. We'll talk about this on another episode. How would people uh, get a hold of you if uh, they wanted to chat, look at your deals? And what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, social media. I'm pretty active on Facebook and Instagram, um, and a little bit on LinkedIn also. So just look me up on on Facebook, Tim Bratz, and um, feel free to shoot me a Facebook message. I'm I'm uh, real active on there. I answer all my own messages and everything, and uh, I try to provide as much value. Uh, to the community as possible. So, uh, no, I appreciate that. I always have good conversations, insightful conversations with you, Mike. And again, appreciate all the value that you've created um, and, and content you put out there for me and all the other Collective Genius members and everybody else. So, uh, appreciate you, buddy. Thank you, Tim. The feeling is uh, the, the feeling is mutual. I greatly appreciate uh, all your great work on that project, and we've we've got some really awesome discussions. <laughs> Love to continue. Appreciate, again, your wisdom and your hard work. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the day, and we'll uh, regroup next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fund Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fund book, head to BigMikeFund.com or visit Amazon and type Mike Zlotnick. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.